tonight I want to speak. It's about what is next in God's calendar. And I'll give you the answer right now. It's tabernacles. Deuteronomy 16, 16. I want to take my time tonight. I've got quite a few things to go through. And I'm always tempted to rush it because of time. Because we've got to be out here for 10 o'clock. But I don't, I don't want to rush it because there's a, a message that has to be laid. God's gave me revelation that I've never seen before. I wish I could just go to the good bits. <laughs> but I know that I need to lay something first. So if you just want to, if you want, keep your eyes shut, that's fine. And, and just stay in the spirit. Well, I'll just read scripture. There's quite a few things to read. But this message is so huge. It's so huge because it's what God wants to do. It's, it's in God's heart. It's in God's calendar. It's what God has got planned, not just for Scotland, not just for here, but for the nations. You hear people talking about the new thing and God's doing a new thing. Well, what is the new thing? In some ways, it's not a new thing. In some ways, it's an old thing. Deuteronomy 16.16 16 says, Three times a year, all your men must appear before the Lord your God at the place he will choose, at the festival of unleavened bread, the festival of weeks, and the festival of tabernacles. No one should appear before the Lord empty-handed. Three festivals, three festivals, unleavened bread ultimately represents Passover. Festival of weeks represents Pentecost. And then the Festival of Tabernacles is what we're about to go into. These were dress rehearsals. It was called a convocation. And that word means dress rehearsal. These were types and shadows. What I'm speaking about tonight is not just a dry thing to do with the festivals of Israel, but it's to do with what is coming. And I want us to grasp something even as I speak. I believe I'm sending seeds out to the nations. I believe I'm sending seeds out to this nation. Even people in leadership are beginning to hear what the Lord is saying in terms of what is coming next. And it's to do with tabernacles. Because we've all experienced, we've all experienced the feast of Passover, Jesus the Lamb. And others have went further than that to Pentecost. But there's something coming that none of us have ever experienced. And it's to do with tabernacles. I've mentioned some of this before, but I've never went in such depth as what I'm going to go tonight. Tabernacles is not fulfilled. Pentecost was a first fruits festival. First fruits meant it was a tenth. It was a down payment. Some people are preaching that we've received it all, that it's all done. Romans 8.23 says, Not only so, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit growing inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption to sonship, the redemption of our bodies. That is moving from Pentecost to tabernacles because we have received the first fruits. First fruits is Pentecost. 
But our bodies is groaning. There's something groaning. The land is groaning. Creation is groaning. The whole earth is groaning. And it's not just the earth. Creation, the universe itself is groaning for something more. It's the manifestation of the suns. It's tabernacles. What is tabernacles? It's known as the great feast. What is it? It was a reminder to Israel of how God delivered them from Egypt. Leviticus 23, 39, 43. I'm tempted to rush, but I'm not going to do it. I want to just read some things because once we grasp this, this changes everything. It, it shows us where we're going because between Pentecost and Tabernacles, there was a dry season. <laughs> there was a dry season between Pentecost and Tabernacles. Even in our own individual lives, there's a dry season. And the earth has been a dry season. Like between 1906 when the, the Holy Spirit moved on the earth at Azusa Street, there's been a dry season. We've had some rains here and there, Toronto and different places, but it's been dry. But we're about to move into something that's way beyond the first fruits. Now the 15th day of the seventh month, when you have gathered in the produce of the land, you shall keep the festival of the Lord. Remember, this is a dress rehearsal. They were doing something that was a shadow and type of what we are going to go into in reality. And it will last seven days. A complete rest on the first day and a complete rest on the eighth day. On the first day you shall take the fruit of the majestic trees, branches of palm trees, bows of leafy trees and willows of the brook, and you shall rejoice before the Lord your God for seven days. You shall keep it as a festival to the Lord seven days in the year. You shall keep it in the seventh month and a statute forever throughout your generations. You shall live in booths for seven days. All that are citizens in Israel shall live in booths so that your generation may know that I made the people of Israel live in booths when I brought them out of the land of Egypt because I am the Lord your God. The feast was a reminder to Israel of how God delivered them from Egypt and how he dwelt with them through the wilderness. God tabernacled among them. The Feast of Tabernacles can be called the Feast of Harvest, the Feast of Ingathering, the Feast of Glory, the Feast of Rest, the Feast of Lights, the Feast of Restoration. And I'm going to start with this one, the Feast of Harvest. The Feast of Harvest. Matthew 13, 36-43 says, Then he left the crowds and went into the house, and his disciples came to him, saying, Explain to us the parable of the weeds of the field. And he answered, The one who sows his seed is the son of man. The field is the world, and the good seed is the son of the kingdom. The weeds are the son of the evil one, and the enemy who sowed them is the devil. 
Now listen to this. The harvest is the end of the age. Tabernacles is the end of the age. And the reapers are the angels. Just as the weeds are gathered and burned with fire, so will it be at the end of the age. The Son of Man will send his angels, and they will gather out of his kingdom all causes of sin and all lawbreakers, and throw them into the fiery furnace. In that place there will be a weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their father. He who has ears, let him hear. The harvest is the end of the age. The harvest is tabernacles. It was a harvest with the greatest of the harvest was in tabernacles. Pentecost was a tenth. Anything we've experienced up until now has been a tenth. Any movement of the spirit we've seen in the earth is a tenth. In tabernacles, the harvest is at the end of the age. And the angels of the harvesters, and there's two seeds in the earth. Seeds sown by the evil one, and seeds sown by Jesus, by God. And we're going to see the fulfillment, the fruition, the absolute fulfillment of the harvest is going to be seen in its fullness, good and evil. And the seeds that are being seen right now in darkness, we can see it in ISIS. We can see it across the earth. We can see great evil. Why is that? Because the end of the age is the harvest. And the harvest is beginning to grow. And the harvest is beginning to be seen. And the harvest of darkness is covering the earth. And gross darkness to people. But in that day, they will shine. Because the suns, the seeds... The seeds of the Son of God, the seeds of Jesus, the seeds of God are beginning to harvest, they're beginning to grow like we have never seen. And this is going to be what tabernacles looks like. We are beginning to grow into the fullness of all that he is. The harvest is the end of the age. Harvest. Everything is coming to fruition. When we see the darkness, we can get scared and fearful. But let's be assured that when the darkness comes, that we will shine. This is the day where we will rise and shine because the glory of the Lord has shone upon us and the harvest will be seen and we will be seen because we are the sons of the kingdom. That word sons means mature sons. It's a day that we've never seen. We've never seen the fullness. We've never seen the mature sons. We've seen a tenth. It's the feast of ingathering. Be glad then, ye children of Zion, and rejoice in the Lord your God, for he has given you the former rain moderately. That's Pentecost. And he will give, he will cause to come down for you the rain, the former rain, tabernacles, and the latter rain in the first month, and the floors shall be full of wheat, and the vat shall overflow with wine and oil. The feast of ingathering. The feast of ingathering. The first feast, Pentecost, was the tenth. But the greatest of all feasts was tabernacles. Tabernacles was far greater than Pentecost. And it's a feast of glory. This festival, this feast that's coming, it's where we're going, it's in God's calendar. We've moved from Passover, from Jesus 
We never move away from Jesus. We always have the Passover right at the center. But then we move into the movements of the Spirit into Pentecost. But then God is speaking and saying there's something more groaning. The earth is groaning for the more. And the more is coming. And then it's a feast of glory. 2 Chronicles 5. See, this happened. Solomon dedicated his temple at this season of tabernacles. It's not a coincidence. This is a sign of what's coming, the glory that's coming. When all the work Solomon had done for the temple of the Lord was finished, he brought in the things his father David had dedicated, the silver and gold and all the furnishings, and he placed them in the treasures of God's temple. Then Solomon summoned to Jerusalem the elders of Israel, all the heads of the tribes and the chiefs of the Israelite families to bring up the Ark of the Lord, the Ark of the Lord's covenant from Zion, the city of David. And all the Israelites came together to the king at the time of the festival of the seventh month, of the seventh month, Verse 11 says, The priests then withdrew from the holy place. All the priests who were there had consecrated themselves regardless of their divisions. All the Levites who were musicians, Azaph, Haman, Jeduthun, and their sons and relatives stood on the east side of the altar, dressed in fine linen and playing cymbals, harps, and lyres. They were accompanied by 120 priests sounding trumpets, The trumpeters and musicians joined in unison to give praise and thanks to the Lord, accompanied by trumpets, cymbals, and other instruments. And the singers raised their voices in praise to the Lord and sang, He is good for his love endures forever. Then the temple of the Lord was filled with the cloud, and the priests could not perform their service because of the cloud, for the glory of the Lord filled the temple of God. This happened in tabernacles. The glory is coming back to the earth. The glory is coming back. But we are the temple. We are the temple. 2 Corinthians 3 says, And we all who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory are being transformed into his image with ever-increasing glory which comes from the Lord who is spirit. As we look upon his glory, the glory that's coming in this season of tabernacles, we will be transformed from one level of glory to another. We will be transformed from Pentecost to tabernacles. We will be transformed from immature sons, child, children of God, into mature sons. And it all happens as we behold his glory beyond the veil. As we stand beyond the veil, as we even go in, even now as I speak, go beyond the veil and Look at his beauty. Look at who he is in Zion. Look at he is beyond the veil like Reese Hills. Reese Hills was transported beyond the veil and lived there the rest of his life. And as we behold him, the glory changes us. The glory is filling our temple. As God builds the temple, as God builds the temple that it speaks about in Ephesians 2.22, because God has filled individual people, but he's never built a whole building, a whole house, and filled it with the fullness yet. The earth hasn't seen the whole house filled yet. 
And the glory, the feast of glory is coming. The feast of glory. And it's the feast of rest. It's the feast of rest. It's called the feast of rest. Leviticus 23.39 says, Also on the fifteenth day of the seventh month, when ye have gathered in the fruit of the land, ye shall keep a feast unto the Lord seven days. On the first day shall be a Sabbath, and on the eighth day shall be a Sabbath. Hebrews 4 says, Therefore, since the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us be careful that none of you be found to have fallen short of it. There's a promise of entering his rest. Verse 8 says, verse 9, there remains then a Sabbath rest for the people of God. There remains something else. We've not just entered the all and experienced it all as soon as we're saved. There remains a Sabbath rest. There remains something beyond where we are. There remains something that we can enter into, a rest. For anyone who enters God's rest also rests from their works, just as God did from his. Let us therefore make every effort to enter the rest, so that no one will be will perish by following their example of disobedience. How do we enter the rest? What is the rest? Verse 14 says, Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven. After it speaks about the rest, it says, Therefore, this is how. Therefore, since we have received a great priest who has ascended into heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith that we profess. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weakness. But we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. So let us approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. What is the rest? It's union with Christ himself. The rest of God is entering into him who is rest. And we enter into him who is rest by going beyond the veil, by boldly approaching the throne. Madame Guyon says, she is, this, isn't, this is my words. She may not understand about Pentecost and Tabernacles, but I believe this is what she's talking about. Because she's talking about how she went from one experience, living in this certain level, but then saying, oh, I feel sorry for you. Don't remain there. There's something else. And she says, I held myself in readiness with a full resolution to execute his orders whenever he should make them known. Though it were to the laying down of my life, I was released from all crosses. I resumed my care of the sick and dressing of wounds and gave me to cure, and God gave me to cure the most desperate. When surgeons could do no more, it was then that God made me cure them. Oh, the joy that accompanied me everywhere, finding still him who had united me to himself and his own immensity and boundless vastitude. 
Oh, how truly did I experience what he said in the Gospels by the four evangelists and by one of them twice over. Whosoever will lose his life for me shall find it and whosoever will save his life shall lose it. When I had lost all created supports and even divine ones, I then found myself happily compelled to fall into the pure divine and to fall into it through all those very things which seemed to remove me further from it. In losing all the gifts with all the supports, I found the giver. In losing the sense and perception of thee and myself, I found thee. O oh my God, to lose thee no more in thyself, in thy own immutability, O oh, poor creatures who pass all your time in feeding upon the gifts of God and think therein to be the most favoured and happy. Listen to this, how I pity you if you stop here, short of the true rest, and cease to go forward to God himself through the loss of those cherished gifts which you now delight in. How many pass all their lives in this way and think highly of themselves? There are others who, being called of God to die to themselves, yet pass all their time and die in life in inward agonies without ever entering into God through death and a total loss of self because they are always willing to retain something under plausible pretext and so never lose themselves to the whole extent of the designs of God. They never enjoy God in all his fullness, which is a loss that cannot be perfectly known in life. They never enjoy God in all his fullness. They never enjoy God in all his fullness. There is something beyond Pentecost that's enjoying God himself, entering into the rest of God, the fullness of God himself, something beyond gifts, something beyond, beyond even evangelism and praying for people and seeing healings and miracles. Let me tell you, if we enter into this place, like Peter, our shadow will heal. If we enter into this place, we will see whole cities saved and we won't even know it's happened. Because we're so fully engulfed in him, possessed by him, full of his love, full of his purity, full of his holiness, full of all that he is, full of his rest, entering into all that he is. We will not need to try and evangelize. We will not need to try and do things. We will give up our works. We will give up our efforts and we will enter into his rest. Beyond, beyond, it's the feast of lights, it's the feast of lights, this is a quote from somebody, it says the two major ceremonies of the feast of tabernacles were the water procession and the illumination of the temple. Most commentators maintain that the setting of Jesus' self-proclamation as the light of the world is the nightly illumination of the court of women that took place during the Feast of Tabernacles. The meaning of the illumination of the temple was similar to that of the pouring out of the water. The light shining out of the temple into the darkness around was seen as a symbol, not only as the Shekinah glory, 
manifested in the most holy above the ark, which once filled the temple, but also of the great light that the people that walked in darkness were to see. It's the festival of lights. It's the Shekinah glory. We are the lights. He is the father of lights. We are becoming light. He is creative light. We are created light. We are becoming one with the light. It's the festival of lights. We are becoming one with who he is. He is the light of the world. And we are beginning to arise and shine. We are beginning to be harvested into fullness and shine forth the glory. This is a new era that's coming, the new era that's coming to the earth, the new era that's coming to the bride for those who hear. For those who hear, for those who have ears to hear, some might just stay where they are because they think it's good, because we're moving in gifts and seeing people healed. But there's something beyond. There's something beyond. There's something more. The festival of lights. Just before we went up north, Abby saw lights above my house, lots of lights, and it related to maybe maybe other things, but I'm beginning to see that it was more than just what we thought. The lights were above my house, I believe it's to do with tabernacles. There's a new era coming to Scotland, there's a new era coming to the UK, there's a new era coming for those who hear, for those who will listen, for those who will take time and enter the rest and give up their own works. It's a festival of restoration. Acts 3.21 Whom heaven must receive and retain until the time for the complete restoration of all that God spoke by the mouth of all his holy prophets for ages past from the most ancient times in the memories of man. Restoration. God is restoring apostolic government, the bench of three. He's restoring Adam's mandate, ruling as kings and earth, but also in the heavens, living as the manifest sons. We are being restored to be like Adam, but beyond Adam, because Adam didn't even fulfill what he was born for. It's the restoration of priests like Joshua. The high priest. We will be kings and priests in the order of Melchizedek. It's not just priests and it's not just kings. In the book of Revelation it says you are kings and priests. That's what the order of Melchizedek is. It's kings and priests. Functioning in the courts of heaven as priests. Functioning before the Lord as a priest. But functioning on earth as a king. Zechariah 3.6.7 And the angel of the Lord admonished Joshua, saying, Thus saith the Lord of hosts, If you will walk in my ways, and if you will perform my service, then you will also govern my house, and also have charge of my courts. And I will grant you free access among those who are standing here, this was Joshua the high priest in the heavenly realm in the courtroom situation. 
And he was given this promise that you will have free access. And this promise is to our generation because God is restoring. Since the days, since the days of Martin Luther, God is restoring again. He's restoring the priesthood of all believers. Then he restored sanctification by faith through the Wesleys. Then he restored the baptism of the Holy Spirit at Pentecost through Azusa Street. And now he's restoring again kings and priests. Kings and priests ruling in the heavens, seated in heavenly places. We are beginning to take our place. We are beginning to take our seats. And as I said before, the government is born in a stable. The government is born in a stable with people who we wouldn't choose. Weak people. But we're beginning to know who we are. We're beginning to realize that we are the ones that God has been waiting for. It's the restoration of walking with God like Enoch. It's the restoration of walking in power like Elijah. It's the restoration of habitation. Ephesians 2.22 It's the restoration of the spirit of truth bringing conviction of sin again. It's the restoration of the fear of the Lord. And it's the restoration of justice on the earth again. Jude 1.14-15 says Enoch, the seventh from Adam prophesied about them. See the Lord is coming with thousands upon thousands of his holy ones to judge everyone and to convict him all, to convict all of them of their ungodly acts they have committed and, and their ungodliness and of all the defiant words ungodly sinners have spoken against him. Enoch and Elijah, the power and spirit of Elijah and Enoch with the spirit of conviction can you imagine us walking in the fullness of who we are amongst ISIS, walking as Elijah, walking as Enoch, and they try and even harm us, but they cannot come near us because of the power of the Holy Spirit, because of the power of the fullness of Christ on us, the power of what Enoch walked in and Elijah walked in. These are the days of Elijah. These are the days of Enoch. We will walk in such fear of the Lord such realms of the fear of the Lord again. Such realms of the fear of the Lord again. Transfiguration. I saw something in this scripture I've never seen before. Transfiguration and the Feast of Tabernacles. Remember, Feast of Tabernacles is called the Feast of Booths. Right? And after six days, Jesus took with him Peter and James and John and led them up a high mountain apart by themselves. And he was transfigured before them. And his garments became glistening, intensely white, as no filler on earth could bleach them. And there appeared to them Elijah and Moses. And they were talking to Jesus. And Peter said to Jesus, Master, it is well we are here. Let us make three booths. 
let us make three booths, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. For he did not know what to say, for they were exceedingly afraid. And a cloud overshadowed them, and a voice came out of the cloud. This is my beloved son, listen to him. And suddenly looking around, they no longer saw anyone with them but Jesus only. Paul Keith Davis says this verse actually says, This is my son in whom I am pleased to dwell. I'll just read a bit more and I want to say something. And as they were coming down the mountain, he charged them to tell no one what they had seen until the Son of Man should have been risen from the dead. So they kept the matter to themselves, questioning what the, what the rising from the dead meant. And they asked him, why do the scribes say that Elijah first must come? And he said to them, Elijah does come first to restore all things. Tabernacles, Peter, James and John in the mountain. And Peter said, let us build three booths. Could it be that Peter, I know that he maybe shouldn't have spoken, but could it be that he recognized something, that he saw something, that he recognized that this might be the fullness of tabernacles that he was observing? And then he said, build three booths. Why? Because the children of Israel were told to live in booths to celebrate tabernacles. He was seeing something in his spirit. He was seeing something of fullness on Christ. He was seeing something in Elijah and Moses. And he was realizing this is the fullness. Let's build three booths. Tabernacles looks like the transfiguration of Jesus. It looks like Peter. Sorry, it looks like Elijah and Moses and Jesus. Let's build three booths. And in this season of tabernacles, the heavenly bench of three, Jesus, Moses, and Elijah, commune with the earthly bench of three, Peter, James, and John, heaven and earth, interacting, Peter, James, and John, representing the government of earth, Elijah, Moses, and Jesus, representing the government of heaven, and the Father overshadowing all of them. Tabernacles, our heavenly booth, in these days is the Father himself. We will be overshadowed by the Father. As we stand in the mountain, as we ascend the mountain, as we are transfigured, as we meet with, all, with the cloud of witnesses, as we meet with heaven, we will be overshadowed by the Father. This is not just a move of the Spirit. It's not just a Jesus movement. It's the overshadowing of the Father. This is the fullness of tabernacles. And a cloud overshadowed them, and a voice came out of the cloud. This is my beloved son. Listen to him. We will be overshadowed by the cloud. When God said that, this is my son. That's what a father would say to a son in Jerusalem when he was ready to take on the father's business. It meant, this is my son, he is now ready. Listen to him. And there's coming a day when the father will overshadow us and will say, this is my son, this is my mature son on the earth. 
listen to him and every government, every people group will have to listen because we will be the mature sons on the earth and God will grant us the fullness. Because while we are just children, we are slaves and there's an inheritance and glory and that inheritance is there for us to access. But until we become mature, we cannot access that inheritance. But there's a day coming when the Father will say, He is ready. He is my Son. Now He has full access. Full access. Full access to the heavenly realms. In that day, no one will be able to stop what God does. In that day, in that day, God's calendar Tabernacles is coming. Tabernacles has thus been restored to our former glory. And Elijah is coming in these days to restore all things. Jesus said it. Elijah does come first to restore all things. The spirit and power of Elijah. There's so many people seeing them. Like even people that we might think is mainstream, like Rick Joyner, he's met with Enoch and Elijah, and they've told them that they're here in the end times on the earth to prepare a people who will walk in fullness. And usually it's small groups. Usually it's the people who are willing to go off the beaten path into the unknown. Others may come later. Others may follow, but there's forerunners, there's prototypes, people who are willing to go beyond to be misunderstood, people who are willing to say, Lord, I give up all of that to get this. I give up all of understood to get this. We will be the tabernacles of God walking in fullness. Paul Keith Davis says, God has moved through many, but rested on few. That's going to change. God is coming to rest. John the Baptist said there was a voice that spoke to him and said to whom the Spirit comes and remains. The Spirit has came upon probably all of us, but we want him to come and rest. That's what tabernacles is. God tabernacled amongst us the word became flesh and dwelt among us that word means tabernacled the word becoming flesh and that's how tabernacles happens that's how we become mature sons it's when the word and the spirit come together and it becomes flesh the word is becoming flesh and tabernacling amongst us again John G. Lake was a prototype of what this looks like. I just want to read, this is the last thing. At the age of 16, John G. Lake came to know the saving power of Christ. See, people walked in this. There was prototypes, people like Joshua and Caleb who went into the land before their generation. People have walked in this. Catherine Kuhlman, Maria Woodworth Etta, St. Columba. People have walked in this. They've tasted of the power of the age to come and they've come back and shown us what it looks like. 
There's always been prototypes. There's always been spies in the land. Joshua and Caleb's. And John G. Lake. His salvation experience was a very real one. as displayed in his changed life. And many around him observed this transformation and said, you are baptized in the Holy Ghost. While friends around him were saying he had been filled with the Holy Spirit, Lake experienced a hunger for more of God that was almost unbearable. He began to pursue the Lord and came to know the sanctifying power of the Holy Spirit through the ministry of a layman named Melvin Pratt. The pressure, sorry, the precious brother introduced Lake to the washing of the water by the word, producing in him a much richer and anointed life. Those around him acknowledged that surely he had received the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Yet, he, Brother Lake hungered for more. He experienced all of this and the people were saying, That's, you've arrived, but he hungered for more. Several years later, Lake was introduced to the healing power of God through Alexander Dowie. After he experienced firsthand this great power, he moved to Zion and associated himself with Dowie. He received from the Holy Spirit a tremendous impartation of the healing anointing of God. Many miracles and manifestations of the Spirit followed him. Those around him again tried to convince him he had received the baptism of the Holy Spirit. But he was still hungry. By the turn of the century, Lake had realized a powerful salvation experience, an even more powerful sanctification encounter, and an impartation of the ministry of healing. At each juncture, those around him tried to convince him he had received the fullness of the Holy Spirit, yet his heart burned for more of God than ever before. As a result, he began a season of fasting, pray and waiting upon the Lord for a nine month duration. During this time he desperately searched for the place in God that would satisfy the longing of his heart. At the end of the time of separation, Lake had an Lake had an awesome experience with the Lord. In it, Lake found himself surrounded in a cloud of glory. Volumes of virtue and power surged through him, his innermost being with waves of glory. Lake later spoke of this experience, saying the glory of this experience remained in my soul. I found that my life began to manifest in the varied range of the gifts of the Spirit. Healings were of a more powerful order. My nature became so sensitized that I could lay hands on any man or woman and tell what organ was diseased and to what extent. He knew he had been immersed in the Holy Spirit and became a dwelling place of God. His heart and soul were now satisfied. The Holy Spirit was residing in him, speaking through him, and saturating every fiber of his being. It was during this season that science even testified to the healing and recreative power of the Holy Spirit. Lake would visit hospitals and begin to diagnose cases the doctors were unable to analyze. The physicians later testified his diagnoses were correct. 
On another occasion, he submitted himself to the scrutiny of microscopes and x-ray machines so doctors could witness the power of God as he prayed for individuals. They would actually attach the instruments to patients and watch through the most powerful instruments of science as tissue began to be restored and human cells responded to the power of prayer. Finally, his heart was satisfied. He had received the fullness of the Holy Spirit. Fullness. Producing the nature and character of Christ within him. He believed, as the scriptures teach, this indwelling experience now equipped him to carry on the ministry of Christ, as did the early apostles. And it was during this experience that John G. Lake said he became a Christ man. Tabernacles. We've experienced Passover. We've experienced Pentecost. Between Pentecost and Tabernacles is a dry season. And now we're about to experience the former and the latter together. Now we're about to go up the mountain. Now we're about to be transfigured. And we are going to become like light. We are going to become like Christ. We are going to be tabernacled by the Father himself. We are going to have the fullness of the Holy Spirit. We are going to be walking as mature sons, not just children of God. All creation is groaning for this. And we will walk into the new day, the new era of tabernacles. The glory will be seen in us and upon us. And as we look upon the glory, we will be transformed from glory to glory. As we go beyond the veil and look on him, we will be changed. We, we no longer will just have the first fruits, Pentecost. We will have the full payment. Lord, thank you. So we're asking for God to breathe on us. See, Pentecost doesn't go away. We still need Pentecost, which really is a sanctification experience. The fire of God comes. We still need Passover, Jesus people are arguing what is it is it the former is it the latter the answer is it's all of that it's old and new breathe in us breath of God <laughs>